Hello and thank you for tuning into the Replatform podcast. Today I'm on my own as James has finished for Christmas and uh, as you can probably tell, slightly less formal. Um, I'm about to go for a run after this, um, but I am very glad to be joined by Ashley, who is the head of e-commerce. Are you the head of e-commerce at Clemson? E-commerce manager. E-commerce manager. Um, but the but, same job, really. Different title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Gwentson is a fantastic brand. I personally love the products. Um, yeah, why don't you give us a bit of an introduction to you, your role at Grenson and then the company as well? Sure, yeah, thank you. So um, I've been with Grenson since 2016, um, but the company's a hell of a lot older than that. So it's, it's over 155 years of continuous trading. Um it's gone through various owners over those years and lots of ups and downs through two world wars and all, all the rest of it, making footwear for the, the allied armies and, and air forces and stuff all throughout time through into um, the sort of almost the demise then really of, of the UK manufacturing sector as a whole, not just footwear through like 60s, 70s, 80s, everything being exported, manufactured abroad, etc. And then the current owner, um, Tim Little, was actually working as a consultant for the brand um, and then purchased it outright in 2010 um, with, uh, w- with the brand director who was working with him as well. Um, they both became the sort of leads of, of the business. And since then, it's sort of been on its transformation of what it's known for now. So they took it away from purely making heritage footwear and being almost known as a heritage brand to um, a bit more of a headline uh, luxury brand, I guess, really, and and much more modern, but leaning on its heritage, not reliant on it. Um, So they moved to um, from the Victorian factory that Grinson was still in that was purpose-built for them um, to a few miles down the road to a a nice new industrial unit and the factory and the warehouse is all in one building and our offices are, we've moved together and, yeah, it's just gone from from strength to strength to strength to strength till then, really. And it's it's a fantastic brand to work for in digital because it's um, it's amazing to be able to work in a brand that has got good good traction and people actually want to hear from. I mean, I can't imagine what it must be how difficult to sell household goods or something like that that really are a bit more uh, trickier to promote, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. So, um, little sub question. So, before you joined this Zoom call, um, my fiance came in and bought me some water, and she saw us browsing your sale category, and she <laughs> was saying that one, she loves Grenson, but also that um, one of the reasons she likes it, and she works for Clayview, and I know Clayview talk about this all the time, but um, Holly Willoughby apparently is like a bit of an advocate of the brand or something like that. Is yeah. that being quite big for you? Because we work with a couple of brands that have like basically propelled because like Kate Middleton's wore their shoes or whatever else. Um, is that something that's kind of made you a bit bigger recently? It did on some certain styles. Yeah. So it, it was, it was big within a, a category. So obviously we were known for a long time for men's footwear. Um, and then the first um, sort of big impact that, that that had was when she was um, replacing um and I think it was, wasn't it, in in Armour Celebrity for that summer in Australia. And um, she she wore on her net boots then with the shorts look and stuff. And they'd actually been in our range for two years before that. Um, and wholesale as well hadn't really gone crazy for them. The buyers in the industry hadn't really seen them. And then 
the Holly effect kicked in and we were sold out within like days and having to mass quickly procure stock. And then, yeah, it absolutely went insane. Um, And I would never have predicted that from Holly Willoughby either. I just didn't think that the power of, of, of her as an influencer was that big, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. And off the back of that, the whole category then of women's sort of chunkier hiker boots and, um, that sort of quite androgynous sort of women's bootlet that Grenson has become known for has just flown for us as as a whole across the category with lots of other people picking up on it from Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones wearing them to loads of just loads of women now yeah it's it's been fantastic I always spot them in London on the tube as we're going through the stations I think there's some of the nets there's some of the nets <laughs> managed to reach my fiance via that channel oh perfect um first question so one of the big reasons uh why you're here and I'd imagine a big part of your job over the last 12-18 months um has been your big commerce migration and um, mm. so actually, can you just talk us through why you chose Big Commerce? I know you were on Magento one before. Um, so yep. what did you choose to migrate to Big Commerce? Well, we we obviously had a, a deadline looming of us from an end of support yeah. point of view with Magento. Um and to be fair, we we kind of were one of we're quite late to react on that because you never knew if it was going to be a real deadline or not, where it kept getting extended, yeah. extended, um, et cetera, et cetera. But eventually um, we made the decision e-commerce is too important to the business to to leave it for too long. And we went to tender, basically. And we, we spoke to Magento, Shopify, Big Commerce, um, and a few more niche platforms that are slightly more um, custom built, really. Um and it, it was run quite formally, really. So we issued a, a fixed um, group of questions within an RFP um, that were focusing on all areas of the platforms, really. So we weren't just looking at um, – we tried to get right under the hood with all of them and ask around um, some more detail in, in the technicality. So we really got to understand each platform before they pitched to us and, and ran their demos. And, and obviously, when I um, – started totaling up the scores for for the two front runners, which were Big Commerce and Magento. In all honesty, it got to a point where they were pretty much neck and neck the whole way. Right. Um, and I, I think our final decision really came down to the fact that we just felt Big Commerce was probably a better fit for the size of our business. We felt that we'd get listened to maybe a bit more working with someone like big commerce and the way that they'd put effort into the the pitch process before and everything like that. Um, and we didn't think that we, that there'd be any negatives and that it would fit, tickle the boxes. So yeah, we, we, we went with it. Perfect. And um, were there any features of big commerce that really like appealed to you or was it more the kind of, the, it was kind of a SaaS platform and gave you quite a lot of freedom beyond that? Yeah. I mean, the, the SaaS platform was a big part of it because our M1 site before um, we weren't unhappy with it. it. It was functioning, but we had frustrations around, um, mainly around content, I think, was one of the biggest ones, was um, being able to to keep it fresh enough and to be able to act on campaigns and and actually keep it looking sharp. And it everything ended up almost being a code change. 
Yeah. It's just to build a landing page for a new campaign or something. And it was soon getting quite tiresome, really, as a process. And we were hosting Magento One on Kubernetes clusters within Google Compute. Um, so it was great being able to scale and and um, handle uh, spikes in traffic around sale peaks and stuff like that. But it was also quite high maintenance and quite high cost because it was all on us. Um, well, in terms of cost, if you like. Yeah. Um, so the thought of moving to any of the SaaS platforms was quite a big driver for us because you just get rid of all of that thinking you have to do. You don't have to think about scaling and some of the security side of things or the patching side of Magento or um, all of these bits of work. And we actually, um, from from quite early on within the big commerce decision process, were quite excited by the use of Shogun. Yeah. Um, and not just the sort of um, straightforward content management side of things, but the way agency partners and developers can build sort of reusable modules within Shogun and we can deploy them quickly. And yeah, it, it was quite exciting to think you could potentially build the whole storefront that way if you wanted to. Um, so that that was a, a very big thing. It seemed to be, a, even though it's a third party technically to, to big commerce, because obviously you can use it with Shopify as well. It just felt though that it blew... Um, page builder out of the water from from yeah, Magento and, and stuff isn't there natively um, yeah and have you have you played around with big commerce's page designer at all i think it's called page. yeah so our, our home page actually uses that right um rather than shogun mainly because some of the sort of multi-currency elements and bits and bobs like that yeah. um so yeah but again we um we we don't use it for some of the more um simpler modules we have actual custom uh, elements that are built that we that we use basically so that we know they're always going to work responsively across all devices and they're all they're tested obviously before they're deployed so we're not sort of in a live site having to just mess around yeah. and hope that the content works really um so yeah we we use a hybrid approach of that and and shogun really too to build out content that makes sense and mm. uh, in terms of the migration itself so did you use an agency and if so which bits did they handle versus stuff that you took on internally uh, yeah we did use an agency a company called light digital um they we did a whole new architectural piece within this project so we we had we used a pretty typical magento stack if you like whether it's magento one or two so we use we use Clayvu, like you mentioned earlier, um, .digital, um, a few other products. I'm trying to think back who we used to use for everything, TaxJar, um, and, and some of the, the others. Um, and ideally, we were thinking internally, well, this is quite a big shift moving to a whole new platform. There's obviously inherent risk there. Um, how much of that Magento stack can we migrate too big commerce, if you like. Um, and that was one of our, our points we wanted to start with. We also have ERP here, um, and that's really the heart of the, of the business um, because that's where all of our product data is, our pricing. Um, and when I say product data, I mean down to the nitty-gritty of like all the EAN numbers for each size break and all that sort of stuff and, and all the stuff you don't want to really be manually entered into a, an e-commerce system. So. Um, 
that was a huge part of the of the project. And and previously with uh, Magento, we just used um, a, a script on a cron job that run ran hourly um, to drop orders into um, the ERP, um, which was fine back in sort of 2014, 15, when the site that site was being built. That was how we did it. Um, but this way around, we went for a middleware approach. Um, provider, did you choose them? Yeah. Well, so we like digital built that as well, oh, okay. um, yeah. but we use Laravel to build out um, various um, pieces of functionality. Really, so um, we don't we, we haven't gone headless with our big commerce project. Main reason being, um, personally, I feel like there's probably a lot of hidden costs within headless that maybe some people that head down that road probably haven't realized yet because they've not had to do any major changes or adapt any new functionality or any new plugins or extensions or anything but really we wanted to keep the strength of a SaaS or an out-of-the-box product by being able to use the third-party plugins and extensions etc whilst um creating something that's unique to Grenson and a, and, and a theme for the front end that reflects the brand and not a templated look and feel really. And the reason why I start to talk about that is even though we didn't go headless, the theme that we've we've built using the um, stencil logic within big commerce is almost an application in its own right anyway. Because of it being um, a, a SaaS platform, there's certain things you have to do differently. So some of the API calls we make um, to third-party services in real time, we don't really obviously want to be surfacing the credentials to the API in the front end. So the middleware doesn't just handle orders and processing data between the ERP and, and the big commerce. It also acts as a proxy service for yeah. um purely data-driven services that run in, in REST environments. So a lot of our um, digital integrations and some of our forms that, that, that run, et cetera, use APIs, and they are proxied via our middleware so that the front end stays nice and secure and there's no um, credentials or anything serviced in there. So it's, it really is the heart of the, the engine, if you like, behind it all. Um, so the middleware processes our orders. Um, it... Um, manages the stock sync between ERP and big commerce. It creates new products automatically from the ERP. So as our product team are creating new ranges and building them within the ERP, they're fed um, via the middleware into big commerce. So when we come to launch, it's a simple case of just adding photography, a bit of metadata and some of the more brandier pieces, but the core heavy lifting of like SKU data, EANs, pricing, stock all that sort of uh, export information has all been created for us so that's a a massive um uplift we've had since magento because we used to do it all via csv imports manually so that was a huge um time saver and it's also just given us such a a foundation for the future now because we can integrate with whatever and whoever we want um because we have this middleware piece um it, whether it's an, an older sort of SOAP XML-based service or a REST service in, in JSON or, or anything like that, we just connect to it. It's not a problem now. So we're not limited by... I mean, BigCommerce has a fantastic API layer. That is one thing that was pretty major in our tender. And to be fair, they have delivered on their promises there. Um, 
it is very fast and very efficient and we use it heavily for throughout our processes but it's never going to connect to everything if you've got a a legacy provider that you use within the business, like I say, and they use SOAP XML endpoints, there's no way you can just quickly force BigCommerce to connect to that. So by building this, this middleware piece, it's um, yeah, it, it's been brilliant in terms of giving us a platform for future, if you like. Yeah, yeah, mate, I'm a big advocate of that approach. Um, and in terms of the migration itself, so particularly data migration, I guess, like, did you did you have any challenges on that side? Like, how did you approach that? Did you migrate all of your kind of orders, customers, you know, content migration? Um, yeah, how was that side of things? We migrated customers um, mainly because our ERP controls a lot of the logic around our customers in terms of um, currencies, invoice formats, whether it's domestic or export. And now, obviously, well, we, we always had it anyway, but it, with Brexit, it's a lot more prevalent now. We have to make sure, obviously, we get the right commercial invoice data um, for being able to export with tariff codes and reasons for export and weights and all that sort of stuff that's involved in it. But we use Scurry um, for, for all of our carrier integrations. So, um, so yeah, we imported our, our customers and all of that side of things to be able to give us that base level of data. We didn't import orders, um, and we basically um, set set the system up so that you could, for a limited period of time, when you logged into BigCommerce as a customer, you might not be able to see your order history, but you were still able to access um, the returns portals and bits and bobs like that. So you could still... You weren't at a dead end, if you like. You could log back into your Grinson account and our customer services team could help with anything specific. But we just felt that we had all of the order data within the ERP um, as well as Magento. So realistically, we we just it would have been a lot of work to change the order formats and all of that historical data, um, probably for not a lot, a lot of gain, really. And again, um, if you do need it, you've got it. You can, yeah, import another... Um, phase yeah we did import customer addresses um that was one thing as yeah. well with the customers but that was more because of um we just didn't want to create loads of extra data we didn't want customers that were previous magento customers now ordering through big commerce and then obviously duplicating all of that information with new address ids etc um so yeah we took customers and addresses etc um and then the rest of it we just left within the the ERP to uh, to be synced as as customers ordered, basically. Yeah, it makes sense. That's always an interesting point of contention. Like we um, speak to a lot of agencies that essentially don't really want to take on that order migration piece, and it's kind of like it's almost depends on the brand as to whether they kind of need it within the platform for like. Yeah, I guess or... if we didn't have our ERP, we probably would have. Yeah, because we would have been more reliant on that data, but because we use an e-commerce platform almost just as a front end and a, and a, and a cart. Our core data processing is handled all in Prima, our, our ERP system. So that that's stayed that way since the migration as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, were there any other challenges you faced through the process? Anything that was like particularly difficult? Um, I think, yeah. I mean, I think getting our heads around a SaaS platform and also some of the plugin work, like I mentioned before, trying to get them to migrate. Um, because 
Big Commerce, I think it's fair to say, is probably still quite an emerging platform. It hasn't got market dominance yet um, yeah. within developer communities, especially. And a lot of the the brands that we work with and the vendors, they they made official plugins and extensions for Big Commerce. But you find that a lot of them have lesser functionality than the Magento equivalents. Um, so it's always frustrating when you've re- relied on something and then you realise that you've kind of got it, but you kind of haven't. So it, it wasn't. It, it was all. It's fine. It's just typically having to stop and rethink about how we're going to run these campaigns now or how we're going to do this going forwards. They're not really showstoppers, but they are just considerations detail yeah that comes out it, it doesn't really it's hard to ever get to that granular level within a tender as well you've kind yeah. of almost got to just take that leap of faith and get into it and try and take advice from others otherwise you'd procrastinate forever really yeah yeah absolutely no I hope that makes sense and i guess um one of the biggest questions with both big commerce and shopify is always going to be international and you're um i'd guess a global brand um and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Like, how have you structured that at the moment? Like, how have you found the international side? And do you plan on using the new multi-store kind of capabilities within Big Commerce? Definitely, yes, uh, to the multi-store. We've kind of built our site in a precursor to that to prevent a huge round of change later on, if you like. So we're using a single store instance at the moment. Yeah. Um, and we use the price list functionality, which I think is quite similar to what um, Shopify has now as well. At the time when we were running our tender, they didn't have that launched. Yeah. Um, so, so it's a single site um, with multi-currency supported via price lists for each currency. Um, and then our GOIP redirection at the minute um, sets a cookie basically on first page visit with the, uh, with the price list information. Um, it isn't ideal. We, there are a few challenges within it around um, SEO and getting certain things to work. And it, there's obviously quite a lot of considerations to be careful of within the theme as well. So things like um, structured data and schema uh, data obviously has to be dynamic wherever there's pricing elements. Um, it was quite tricky Um getting some of the tracking scripts to work for more detailed third parties. So not your sort of basic sort of GA stuff, but more affiliate and things like that that require quite a lot more data on an order. Um, Big Commerce doesn't have that available natively within the data layer. So on our even on our order confirmation page, we're having to make API calls yeah. to be able to get that data set to be able to track conversions across all of the different third parties that that are interested in those conversions. So it, it it's functioning and it's working well. Um, but I hope that the, when the multi-site's fully rolled out and we've seen a bit more of it, I think that's going to make it a really strong solution then really, that, that really is future-proof to, to expand further into even more currencies. So at the minute we said in GBP, USD and Euro, but there's there's no reason why once that's there we just can't keep going and going really. Yeah, so and um one of the issues that I used to have with Shopify and um I was intrigued to see if this is similar when you're running a single instance multi currency. Um, do you have any like third party payment options like Klarna or like Ideal or any of those? No, we just use Stripe. 
Okay, right, yeah. But interestingly, within big commerce, even in the native version, once you switch on other currencies, you have to configure payment provider for each currency within the admin yeah, screen. Ask, yeah. Yeah, so option to be fair like historically in shopify if you had a single instance and you have multiple currencies um if you were to check out in client it would only work in the base currency all ah, right yeah so w- with this side of things we use the same account ids on on all currencies because we already had them set up so stripes already set up to take card payments in all of the currencies we trade in and so is paypal and amazon pay etc cetera, etc cetera. so um yeah, basically, we just had to attach the accounts to each currency view within the admin uh, side of, of uh, big commerce. It seems to be okay. Yeah, um, yeah we're not using Amazon Pay at the moment. Again, that was unfortunately one of the modules that um, didn't have the same level of functionality in big commerce as it did within Magento, um, which I understand it's where the market share was. But there, uh, we still remain pretty close to them, and they're committed to to bringing it forward. So that will. That will go live eventually as well. Yeah, I've been to be fair, I've always been impressed with how big commerce have approached payments. Like they've always had, even when they were kind of very new to Europe, very quickly they had integration for all of the payment gateways. And yeah, like they had options available for all of the third party kind of European. Yeah. It's something that we wanted to do within our project was expand that whole payment offering piece. Um but it, it, when you get to that sort of point of trade-offs and time and, and deadlines and stuff, we just ended up doing a like-for-like like in that area. Um, but I think there's probably a, a bit more thinking we need to do around would we see much of an uplift from from using certain uh, providers in certain territories and stuff like that, really, before making the shift yeah, I guess it's more like often it's more like if you have like a surge in traffic from Germany or, you know, the Middle East, and then suddenly that's where like, you know, you might benefit from local payment providers and everything because you need to convert those users. And particularly if you're like targeting them via like performance marketing channels and stuff like that. So yeah. Well, that's when it gets expensive to not convert them really, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, a bit of an own goal. Um, so that makes sense. And then the next one. So we've talked a bit about some of the things that you might have struggled with or some of the challenges. Like what are some of the positives and what are some of the things that, you know, have been a game changer for Grenson so far since you moved over to Big Commerce? Definitely not having to think about technology anymore. Yeah. That's that's massive for us, really, because through working with um, Magento, you always just never, I guess it, being open on the open source community version probably compounded this a little bit, but it always got, it, when we were in the final days of using it, it felt, started to feel like it was creaking a little bit. And uh, and and some of our um, aspirations for campaigns and, and marketing were definitely hampered by maybe not the technology as such, but the cost in taking those campaigns live because there was so much of a developer input required yeah. um, to have to have a, a product that we went live with, set our um, our quarterly PCI scanning tool running on, and it's come back all green lights first time. It's amazing because we haven't had to do anything. We've just uh, signed up to the, the the platform and let it do its thing. Really, um, performance as well. Yeah. So. We're working with them at Big Commerce at the minute on a few options for trying to speed our site up a bit more um, through 
different CDN options and things like that. But aside from actual page load times, just come into peak trading seasons, like your Christmas sort of pre-sales and stuff like that, pre-Christmas sales, sorry, and just not having to worry about scaling. And are we going to get downtime? And if we do get downtime, is everything going to come back in the same state it went down in and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff? Because even with, like I said earlier, the, the Kubernetes cluster side of things with with um, with Google Compute, it still wasn't a seamless scale, um, yeah. mainly because of Magento. So, yeah. so, yeah, not having that has definitely helped commercially as well because I just think shoppers are getting a better experience in that peak. We're able to send email campaigns, et cetera, it, to the whole database now without having to think about um, staggering them because of load, et cetera, and, and launch social and paid campaigns, et cetera, all at the same time, knowing that if you send out a big call to action, like sale now on, up to X percent off, it doesn't matter because the, the platform will sit there. And um, I definitely I definitely think during the project, we started to notice really when we were working on populating the new site of content and data, I think all of us here on the team all started to think, actually, this is nice. I'm just thinking about how this product's going to look and how this is going to work. We're not thinking, oh, I've got to push A, push B, click on this tab, press C, press save. And um Cash and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of that stuff. So it was, yeah, it, it's the little things that, that that add up to a bigger picture that makes you think, oh, yeah, this is a... This is nice. And, and I, I don't think we're really, um, I mean, we've only went live in August. So realistically, we're still finishing off some of the snagging list points. And we haven't really got into that phase of, right, put that put that piece of the project to bed now. And we're into optimization and growth and review and, and et cetera, et cetera. And that's the exciting bit to come with big commerce is just being able to move in a very agile and tactical way without having that sort of ball and chain of technology around your ankle, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, um, yeah, a big shift uh, these days. And that's kind of why so many brands are moving to SaaS. Um, and in terms of, so you mentioned headless before, and I think big commerce is quite widely associated with headless. They're obviously quite pro headless. Um, there's a lot of headless implementations launching. Um did you consider it and what, and I guess you have touched on this already, but what made you not go down that road? We did, we did consider it definitely. Yeah. Because, um, ultimately for creative freedom, really that potentially could have been the way forwards, but then the more and more you sort of scratch the surface with it and you think about it, I guess there's sort of uh, at a top level with a headless project. There's two way, way, main ways you can go, but either way you can either go completely bespoke which kind of I wouldn't want to go anywhere near really because you then maintain another bespoke application. And if you don't do that, you're going to have to use a CMS of sorts really. Um, and there's some out there that are obviously very good for, for headless and others that needed quite a lot of adaptation. But still, once you've done that, you're within the limits of that CMS. Um, but you've also lost, I think, a lot of, um ironically you, you lose a lot of agility going headless yeah. because if someone updates a plugin or releases an extension or if big commerce themselves make a change to an api endpoint or a new 
um, piece of data is added to one of the existing API endpoints, that's a developer change to implement within your front end. Um, and they either take time internally or they can be quite expensive and take time if they're done externally via an agency partner. And the thought of that, um, the risk in obviously having to test all of those changes um, and have them applied really just made me think, I, I don't think it's right for Grenson. Yeah. Um, other companies, obviously, if you've got big internal dev departments and the resources there and you've got that um, structure of, of uh, requirements gathering and product owners and all that sort of side of things to manage through that priority list, I can see it's it's probably beneficial in another way, but we didn't really want that. We wanted more freedom and speed to market with changes, really. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. I um, I speak to a lot of brands that have gone down the headless route and ended up regretting it for that exact reason. You know, like, yeah, and that's the last thing we wanted, really, was that regret of such a new system and then just think, oh, no, we've done the wrong thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it does, like you said, it makes sense for a lot of businesses that they've got like a CTO or, you know, they're building like a much broader kind of stack. And yeah, I think there's definitely use cases where it's like, and I've spoke to so many people that have benefited from it, but I think for a smaller brand and business and, uh, you know, team, uh, like you said, I think there's definitely risks and, and cons mm. to it. Sure. I think it comes down to where we'd want to spend the company's money as well, to be honest. Yeah. If I had a choice, I'd much rather be spending that on advertising and brand growth and conversion than having to uh, spend it on development, even if it was internal. Because we, in essence, as soon as you go headless, you've gone bespoke, haven't you? Yeah. No one really mentions that part of it. It sounds all amazing, like you've got this freedom to go headless, but you've basically committed to a totally bespoke application for your web front end that no one apart from you has got in the world, and you're solely responsible for security, updates, uh, speed, page loads, all that sort of stuff around um, a site. You, you take away the benefits of SaaS almost and make them your own problems, if you like, rather than the platform's issues. Yeah, I think um, with BigCommerce and Shopify, so much of the benefits in the ecosystem. I think it'd be interesting to see how Shogun front end comes along because they're working with BigCommerce now as well. Yeah, I've not seen much of that. I've seen it advertised, but I've not really gone so far as with a demo or looking at any of the actual functionality of it. Yeah, so like that, and then Nacelle with Shopify and also Shopify's Hydrogen, I think they'll be a bit more connected. And with Shogun, it's essentially like the full kind of front-end stack all like built on top of their own CMS. And I mm. think the goal will be to build their own ecosystem. So if you're integrating with Yotpo, Klaviyo, like, yeah, Klaviyo. It's already there and done sort yeah, of thing. They'll have pre-built connectors. And I think that's an interesting concept. Because Definitely. End up with benefits, but I think it's still, you know, really early for them and, and yeah, headless in general, really. Um, yeah. Well, even Shogun now, which we use, isn't uh, doesn't support the priceless functionality of BigCommerce. Yeah. So certain areas where you sort of think, oh, we could have built an amazing sort of PLP experience here uh, or, or a PDP. Yeah. Yeah. You can't because you have to you have to almost build an amazing landing page um, and then link to the product page to be able to do the transaction because it can't support the uh, the, the the default priceless functionality. We have got currency views within Shogun, um, so we can um, have content modules that, that only appear 
when a certain currency ID is in scope from the user's point of view, but you just don't, we use them on the homepage and bits and bobs like that, but you just, you don't, it would just become so tedious to build out PDPs and, and pages like that where you're having to rely on the, the admin user creating the page to remember to put the multi-currency elements in really. Yeah, I guess that's where you, you like, hopefully Shogun will support the new multi-store infrastructure and yeah. then you'll have a lot more control. Yeah, I guess they'd have to, if they're doing the work for the front end, I guess it makes sense to migrate it into their other products, really. Yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. Um, and then you touched on your kind of, you know, you've launched the site, you've gone into peak, um, you know, you're still kind of going through snags and bugs. Um, what do you have in the roadmap for next year? Um, quite a few things, really. Um, there's there's a lot that we can do now, uh, like touching back on earlier, where we don't have to worry about tech so much and we can think solely about growing the business, really. So there's a lot we can do around our, our own data and, and our first-party data that we've got with customers and how we can use that in a way to benefit their shopping experiences and also re-engage with them um really as well um so that's a big thing um we've got lots of ideas around what we can do with returns and how we can make that into something different than just going onto the website and 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 just returning your goods so i don't want to say too much but that's that's something that we're we're banding around um and i think just almost just uh, sitting back for a few months at the start and just seeing, capturing data on how users are using the new site, um, looking at um, any bottlenecks through the user journeys, looking at the user journeys, because obviously, like any project, we can sit in a room and scope out our user journeys and how people are going to use the site, but there's nothing like real-world data because people are human beings and they're crazy and they do what they want to do with your website. They don't follow your perfectly curated funnels really, do they? So um, I think that that's one thing we're going to major on and make sure that that sort of never loses sight. Really. We don't ever want to put it live and then go, right, that's done now. Let's move on to something else. Cause yeah. it's, it's just not the case. And you may have missed the mark with things during the build. You know, it, there is no silver bullet in how to build a checkout, for example. Yeah, and that was an area. To be honest, we did have to do a lot of customization on um, within the big commerce build, mainly because of the multi currency. So the checkout is a React app um, within big commerce, and and it's quite bolted down, obviously, for obvious reasons. But we can run scripts within it, um, server side scripts. So we, there's quite a bit of JavaScript and and other elements in there controlling the rules around if you're shopping in this currency you can only choose a delivery address of of this and all that sort of stuff so that's all there um and done but obviously that's quite custom and you want to make sure that people are a understanding that logic and b how they're using it and making sure that it's not detracting people at the point of of checkout um because we've got that interesting mix of having a huge global wholesale business as well at Grantson. So I've no doubt customers are looking at the same product on multiple websites and, and it will come down to delivery and, and bits and bobs like that, that, um, that make the difference of whether they choose to buy our products from us or a, another retailer really. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that, that will make sense. And um, yeah, I think uh, I really like the, the uh, Grentson site as well. I think it looks great. I think I sent you earlier, there's a lot of bits that I think um, sometimes when you see a big commerce site, you know, some bits where they share similarities from like some of the native like theming. But I think you've done a really nice job of kind of creating like a premium brand experience. So it's great. Thanks. Yeah, well, we did actually use the brand agency on that. So they... They've, they're the agency that's been with Grenson for a long time um, in terms of the visual identity of the brand and stuff. So they worked on a lot of um, concepts, which then went through like digital to make them into um, a bit more of a UI UX based um, process. Um, and then they were built um, as from scratch as, as a custom theme, if you like, for, for big commerce so that we weren't, that that was the last thing really that we ever wanted to look like was a templated site, really, um, because it it just doesn't it's just not where we wanted to be with the brand really. So it's good that that's getting noticed by people that that know about these things really because it means that's one thing that's uh, that's shining through. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it, it looks really nice. Um, brilliant. Yeah. So thank you very much for joining us. I think that's all of our questions. I think that's been a really interesting discussion. Good to get into a bit more detail around big commerce and particularly that international site as well. I think, um, yeah, it's really interesting. I think James will be gutted he missed this because he loves big commerce. We typically <laughs> to have quite a lot of conversation because I'm a bit of a Shopify fanboy and he's becoming a bit of a big commerce fanboy. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. I must admit I'm quite a convert now. Um, I was very much in the Magento camp before and when I first started speaking to the big commerce guys I was a little bit like oh, I'm not too sure it feels a bit too different to what I'm used to but after going through it all yeah it's 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 quite a bit of work and you need to have your wits about you building it but it is a, a fantastic platform definitely yeah, I think the other thing with them as well that I really like when I have dealt with them is there's one, there's a lot of good people there and two, they help a lot. Like it's not like, I think Shopify is fantastic and they've got good people as well, but they're so big, like you can't get that same level of yeah. help from people. Within that that goes back to what we were saying at the start. I think BigCommerce are hungry for it still as well because yeah. they are the underdog. So they, they're still very, very hungry to nick market share from the from these other bigger players really and they're going the right way about it people yeah. deal with people at the end of the day don't they yeah absolutely yeah yeah i think it'll be interesting it'll be, next year will be an interesting one for them as well because some big launches coming like ted baker harvey next um yeah be a really interesting one yeah and this multi-site stuff really is going to put the pressure on some of the others yeah in that price point as well yeah absolutely um, great so yeah thanks again for joining us um, if you've got any questions uh, feel free to reach out to Ashley LinkedIn the best route yeah probably yeah yeah I'm more than happy to uh, talk about e-commerce until uh, until I die really so yeah just keep sending any, anything through and I'll, I'll happily yabber on brilliant and then yeah if um if you've enjoyed the episode please subscribe on all of the popular podcast channels or YouTube um, yeah and thanks very much for joining us For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.